Matthew chapter 1, verses 2 through 17. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Now, after, and after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, fourteen generations. Now as we saw in our last study, Jesus' family tree is very messy, and we're going to see more of that tonight. Now, we also noted that Matthew listed five women in his genealogy, which is very rare to ever have women listed, but he listed five. In last study, we covered four of them. We're going to look at the fifth one at the end of our study tonight, and that's Mary. We're not going to go into too much detail about her tonight, though, for the reason of you're going to see a lot about her as we move on into the next chapters of Matthew, and you'll learn a lot more about Mary at that time. But the first issue, well, let me back up and say, anyone who's done any study in this section of Scripture would agree that there are some hard issues and questions that this genealogy brings up. But with careful study, I think most of them can be answered. So the first issue we need to deal with is why does Matthew say there are 14 generations between Abraham and David, and 14 between David and Babylon, and 14 between Babylon and Jesus, when a simple counting of the names reveals that it's 14 13 and 14. We're going to do that. If you don't mind, marking verse 2, you got Abraham, that's one, Isaac, two, Jacob, three, Judah, four, Perez, five, Hezron, six, Ram, seven, Amminadab, eight, Nashon, nine, Salmon, ten, Boaz, eleven, Obed, twelve, Jesse, 13, and David, 14. So here we have 14 generations. All right. But now, if you go to the next one, Solomon, 1. Then you got Rehoboam, 2. Abijah, 3. Asaph, 4. Jehoshaphat, 5. Joram, 6. Uzziah, 7. Jotham, 8. Ahaz, 9. Hezekiah, 10. Manasseh, 11. Amos, 12. And Josiah, only 13. But then you go and look, and again, for the third, you got Jeconiah, and then is one, Shealtiel, two, then you get Zerubbabel, 
3, Abiad 4, Eliakim 5, Azor 6, Zadok 7, Achim 8, Eliad 9, Eliezer 10, Methan 11, Jacob 12, Joseph 13, and Jesus 14. So interestingly enough, it says there's 14, 14, and 14, but if you count them, it's 14, 13, and 14. Does anybody know why? Actually, your answer's in the scripture we read here tonight. Now, some of you might have already tuned out because we were saying so-and-so gave birth to so-and-so and gave birth to so-and-so, and you probably went, okay, I'm done. And you probably stopped following along. Go to look at, again at verse 17. The answer's in verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to who? David. And from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14. And then from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14. Who got counted twice? David. David. Now, if you were to go back, and we're not going to do that, and recount, you're going to see from Abraham to David, there's 14. And if you start again with David, there's going to be 14. And then from the Babylon to captivity to Jesus, there's 14. So that answers that first question. Why does it only list 14, 13, 14? When, David, when, when Matthew says it's 14, 14, 14, the, the answer's in the scriptures. David is counted twice in that accounting. But I wish it was that simple. Actually, though, another issue that arises when studying this genealogy in depth is that the fact that if you do the actual research about what's written here, you'll find that Scripture tells us that we're, there were way more than 14 generations between each. Actually, a lot of you may not know this, but between Abraham and David was almost ni- uh, roughly 911 years. That's way more than 14 generations. And actually, if you look closely, you skip over it and you miss it. There's some clues here that we're skipping hundreds of years. Go back to uh, verse 5. It says, Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Remember, we've already looked at Rahab. When did Rahab live? That's back at the time of Joshua. Way, way back at the beginning of the nation of Israel going into the land. Did Rahab give birth to Boaz? She couldn't have given birth to Boaz because there's over 400 years between Rahab and Boaz. So actually, it's listing there a whole skipping, if you will, of many, many generations. Actually, the genealogy's purpose is to show lineage, not give an exhaustive account of every birth. If you were to actually take the time, and some of you love to do that kind of stuff, and that's great, God's wired you that way. I'm not wired that way, but I did some of this just to be ready to be able to teach. It wasn't fun. But for those of you that love to do that kind of stuff, you're going to find if you really dig into all the genealogies in the Bible, there's lots of times they skip over people. We're going to point out a few more of these tonight. But the genealogy's purpose is to show lineage, not give an exhaustive account of every birth. By the way, if the genealogy's purpose is to show lineage and not give an exhaustive account of every birth, that adds even more impressiveness to Matthew's listing of the women. In Jesus' lineage, doesn't it? Because he's skipping over 400 years between Rahab and Boaz, yet he intentionally, through the Spirit of God, listed these women when women were not listed. 
Now, another discrepancy is the fact that verse 8 shows us that Joram was the father of Uzziah. Now, first of all, you're going to see as you do a research with me here, Uzziah is also called Azariah. Uzziah and Azariah are the same person. All right, but look at verse 8. It says, Asaph was the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, also, as I've just told you, Azariah. Go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 3. And look at verses 10 through 12. In 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, it says, The sons of Solomon was Rehoboam, the son of Solomon was Rehoboam, Abijah his son, Asa his son, Jehoshaphat his son, Joram his son. Jehoshaphat and Joram were listed in our passage we just saw in Matthew. Ahaziah his son, Joash his son, Amaziah his son, Azariah or Uzziah his son, and then Jotham his son. So according to 1 Chronicles chapter 3 verses 10 through 12, who's been skipped in the lineage here in Matthew? In verse 8, we have Jehoshaphat giving birth to who? Uh, sorry, Jehoshaphat giving birth to Joram, and then Joram giving birth to Uzziah or Azariah. Who's been skipped according to 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verses 10 through 12? There's Ahaziah, Joash, and Amaziah. We see in the account there that there are actually three generations skipped there. But in Matthew's account, it just goes straight from Joram to Azariah or Uzziah. Oh, by the way, verse 11 says that Josiah was the father of Jeconiah. All right, you see verse 11, Josiah is the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 3, and you'll see, again, someone's missing. And we're going to get to the curse of the bloodline in a second. In 1 Chronicles chapter 3, look at verses 14 through 16. Amos, or Amon, as some of your translations say, his son, Josiah his son. The sons of Josiah were Johanan, the firstborn, the second Jehoiakim, the third Zedekiah, the fourth Shalom, and the descendants of Jehoiakim. And then there was Jeconiah his son, Zedekiah his son. So according to Matthew, we have Josiah being the father of Jeconiah. But according to 1 Chronicles chapter 3, you have, who skipped? Jehoiakim is skipped. So, we, we got a problem here, which we're going to try to solve by the end of the night. Okay, we think we've solved the problem of 14, 13, 14, when Matthew says it's 14, 14, and 14, because in Matthew's account counts David twice, from Abraham to David, and David to the deportation of Babylon, and then from there to Jesus. So I, I can handle the 14, 14, and 14 working out that way, but we've already seen that there were 400 years skipped between Rahab and Boaz that aren't listed in the genealogy. We've already seen then that there's skipping of three guys at least between uh, Joram and Uzziah. We've already seen now there's a skipping of another one between Josiah and Jeconiah. Any idea how Matthew could say there were 14 generations, 14 generations, and 14 generations between, when now we know there weren't? There was obviously more. Was there not evidence of their brokenness? I'm sorry? Was there not evidence of these people's 
What, what, do you, what do you mean by evidence of these people's sin? As in, the women were reported as sinful people. Yeah, but actually, the, the men are listed just as sinful. Have you ever looked at the list of who Manasseh's in there? Anybody know anything about Manasseh? Probably one of the most wicked kings that ever lived. And he's in the lineage. I want you to wrestle with it because we're going to go somewhere. I want you to wrestle with it. Well, maybe this will help. Let's take a look at this Jeconiah guy. This Jeconiah is an interesting guy to put in the genealogy for a lot of reasons. If you were writing a genealogy of someone you were wanting to impress people with, the lineage of Jesus, you probably wouldn't have put Jeconiah in there. I mean, it's obvious he's been skipping people, not listing them all. He's intentionally listed some women. Yet at the same time, he skips the guy right before Jeconiah, but leaves Jeconiah in. Let's take a look at this guy, Jeconiah. He's many times, by the way, called Jehoiachin. That's another name. You're going to see he has three names in the Bible. Jeconiah is also called Jehoiachin. Go to 2 Kings chapter 24. In 2 Kings chapter 24, look at verses 5 through 7. Here's this guy again, and it says, Now the rest of the deeds of Jehoiakim, that's the one that was skipped, remember, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiachin, which is Jeconiah, his son reigned in his place, and the king of Egypt did not come out again, Come again out of his land, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. So here we see in chapter 24, 2 Kings, verses 5 through 7, that Jehoiakim, the one that was skipped into Matthew's genealogy, his son was Jehoiachin, which we also know him as Jeconiah. Go to 2 Chronicles, chapter 36. Second Chronicles chapter 36. Look at verses 5 through 8. It says, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also carried part of the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his palace in Babylon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and the abominations that he did and what was found against him, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months and ten days in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord in the spring of the year. King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the precious vessels of the house of the Lord and made his brother Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. All right. Now. So here we see that Jehoiakim was the father of Jehoiachin. Jehoiakim is left out of the genealogy in, in Matthew. But Jehoiachin, or Jeconiah, is listed. What do we know so far about Jeconiah from what we've just read in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles? He didn't reign very long. Not a good guy. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And during his short period as king, he was taken as a captive to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. The, the lineage of the kings kind of came to a halt at that time. But actually, Jeremiah 
talks about this guy too. Jeremiah has a nickname for him, and you're going to see it. He calls him Coniah. He doesn't call him Jeconiah. He calls him Coniah. Go to Jeremiah chapter 22. Look at verses 24 through 30. As I live, declares the Lord, God speaking through Jeremiah, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those whom you are, of whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they will long to return, there they shall not return. Is this man, Coniah, that's Jeconiah, a despised broken pot, a vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they do not know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down, this is Jeconiah, as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. By the way, who said that? God. Thus says the Lord through Jeremiah. God says, why don't you just consider Jeconiah childless? For none of his descendants will ever sit on the throne of King David in Judah. God cursed Jeconiah and said none of his descendants will ever get to sit on the throne. Yet Matthew lists Jeconiah. He skips Jehoiakim, his daddy. But he lists Jeconiah, also known as Jehoiachin or Coniah as Jeremiah calls him. And he lists a man whom the scripture clearly says anyone that descends from him is cursed and will not be able to sit on the throne of King David ever. And then we see as you follow along in Matthew, they go from Jeconiah right on down to Jesus. They go to Joseph, which is he? Very good. She's bringing out a really good point here. They trace it down to Joseph. Oh, you're about to see it get real good. You see, if Jesus came from Joseph, he could never be king. He could never sit on the throne of David because God cursed all the descendants of Jeconiah. And if Jesus came from Joseph physically, he's cursed and unable to sit on the throne. Oh, but guess what? Did he actually come from Joseph? No. Go back to Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse 16. It says, So Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Did you catch that? Don't miss the wording. A lot of times he was saying so-and-so of whom so-and-so was born, the dad to the son. But here it lists that Jesus wasn't born to Joseph. He was born to who? Mary. Folks. Joseph is a descendant of Jeconiah. And like I said, if Jesus came from Joseph, he could not sit on David's throne according to God's own word. 
This is why Luke's genealogy, and I want you to turn there with me in Luke chapter 3. This is why Luke's genealogy in Luke 3, 23, 31 is totally different from Matthew's. Go to Luke chapter 3. Look at verses 23 through 31. Luke 3, starting in verse 23, says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, I love that, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Methan, or Methat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani. By the way, tell me if you recognize any of these names. Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Matthias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josech, the son of Jodah, the son of Joannan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Mephat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meleah, the son of Mena, the son of Mathatha, the son of Nathan, and the son of David. Are those the same names we just saw in Matthew's account? Not really. There's only one or two, but they're really, it's different. Don't miss this. Luke is actually tracing Jesus' lineage through Mary's side. There's a bloodline, as you're about to see from Scripture, where not only did Jesus, or sorry, Joseph come from the lineage of David and legally in the line of kings... Mary also is from the tribe of Judah, from the city of David, and she also has bloodlines back to King David through a different son. And in, coming from a different son, her family tree is a different branch, but it traces back. They both, both Jesus and, sorry, Joseph and Mary's lineage traces back to David. Go to Matthew uh, chapter, sorry, uh, look at Luke. You already saw Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, where it says he was born of Mary. In Luke 23, 23 again, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son of, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. All right, that's Luke 3, 23. And go to Luke chapter 2 now, and look at verses 1 through 5. Something we've all seen in the Christmas story, but maybe have never really had it jump out, like hopefully it will tonight. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. All right. So, then it goes on, while they were there, the time came to, for them to give birth. Why is he going there to be registered with Mary? Because she's from the house of David as well. He's going to get Mary, be registered and with Mary as well, who are both through the lineage of David. But since Jesus came from God the Father through the Holy Spirit through Mary... Jesus fulfills the needed lineage from David while avoiding the curse of Jeconiah through Joseph. I'm sorry? Yes, and that satisfies the curse in the garden where it says the seed of the woman will crush your head. Folks, I don't know if you know this or not, 
But it was no random accident that God chose Mary and Joseph to be the ones who would be the parents of the Messiah. Mary was highly favored, and she was chosen by God for this role, yet it wasn't an accident that Mary at that time was betrothed to Joseph. See, Joseph carried the lineage of the kings. If you trace David's lineage through Solomon and Rehoboam and so on, there was the lineage of the kings, and it actually traced down. If Jeconiah hadn't been cursed, and if the nation of Israel hadn't been carried off into Babylon, Joseph, the father of Jesus, could have sat on the throne of David and ruled as one of the kings because he was in the kingly line. But because of the curse, he never got to, and neither would any of his descendants. But Mary also came from David, and Jesus fulfills the prophecy in every little way. And those two came together, and as you know, Jesus didn't come from Joseph, but they were married and Jesus has now the kingly line from his daddy and from his mother, the physical descendancy from David, to fulfill the prophecies. Isn't that kind of cool? Oh, so I'm going to come back to our question about why 14, 14, and 14 then when it's obviously not 14, 14, and 14. And I want to do a little study with you right now, though, and I want to do this as nicely as I can, because you never know who's listening online, and I want to do it. I want to do it so that you don't hear me as offensive, but what I'm going to talk to you about may offend some. Mary is to be revered, to be honored, but Mary wasn't sinless. Mary was someone who needed a savior as well. She own her own words. If you go to Luke chapter, Luke chapter two, actually no. Luke chapter one. We're going to start in verse twenty-six. Luke chapter one, verse twenty-six. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, to the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and, his kingdom, and of, of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, you're going to see, we're not going to take the time to look there. But in Luke chapter 2, when it lists the account of Jesus' birth, the Bible just says, when you look at Matthew's account as well, that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Did she understand what was going on? She knew this much. I'm a virgin. I have not slept with Joseph. 
And now you say there's a baby inside of me. And of course, that became evident to her in time that this baby came from her not having a relationship with her husband to be. And now the baby's born and all these shepherds show up and, and the people, the magi show up even a few days later and all this. And what happens is she's curious about these things, doesn't fully understand. And I'm going to show you some more in just a second. But go now to Luke chapter 1 and look at verses 46 and following where Mary, full of the Spirit of God, begins to just praise God. And, it, and this is what many people call the Magnificat. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my what? Wait a minute. If Mary is sinless, why does she need a Savior? Actually, as you're about to see in a little bit tonight, Mary did have other children after Jesus was born. The Bible says that Mary and Joseph had no sexual relationship until after Jesus was born. But then after that, they did have other children. The Bible actually lists them, names them, his mother and, I'm sorry, his brothers and his sisters. And the Bible actually names them. But for years, many of us have been taught that Mary is still the Virgin Mary. The Bible says she wasn't a virgin after the birth of Jesus because she had relationships in, with, with her husband and produced children. And also, she's not sinless, because if she was sinless, she wouldn't need a Savior. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm, and has scattered the proud in, thoughts, in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to all his offspring forever. And then as you see there, he stayed with Elizabeth for three months. Now, I'm about to show you an episode in Mary's life that some of you may not know is there. Go with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, there's actually a very familiar story in the Bible, but a lot of people don't know the full context. In Mark chapter 3, let me take you to verse 31 first. It says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent, him, sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So here's a situation where Mary and Jesus' brothers go to this house where he's teaching to go seek him. And it's so full, they can't get in. So they send word and said, Tell Jesus his mama's outside and his brothers are outside and they want to talk to him. Jesus gets the word and he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then pointing to the people around him, he said, these are my mother and my brothers. This is my family. Whoever does the will of my father, they're my brothers, mother and brothers and sisters. Sounds kind of rude. But actually, go back with me to Mark chapter 3 and look at, and we're going to start, in, we'll start in verse 20. Then he, Jesus, went home, and the crowd gathered again so they couldn't even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying what? 
He's out of his mind. So Mary and the brothers went to go talk to Jesus. Now we know why. They thought he was losing it. The Bible actually shows us in John chapter 7 that his brothers used to make fun of him. They said, oh, you're going to be a public figure. Why don't you go show yourself at the feast? Jesus said, for you, any time is right. For me, it's not time. And later on, he went to the feast in secret. But folks, I want you to understand, Mary wasn't sinless. She was to, she's to be revered. We're to call her blessed. But at the same time, she was in need of a Savior. And she was still figuring this whole thing out as she went along. And at a certain point, she thought Jesus was out of his mind. Go ahead. Here comes my Catholic upbringing. Let's hear it. <laughs> the, uh, when the angel announced that she was going to be the mother of Jesus, wasn't she cleansed of the stain of original sin right at that moment? Actually, here's the problem with that. The, 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 the Virgin, sorry, I'm going to remember the term they use here. The Immaculate Conception, they don't say is Jesus. The actual teaching is the Immaculate Conception is Mary was, Clint was born without sin. So they're saying she was born without sin already at that time. But actually, and this is too deep of a study to get into, if you actually take a look at some of the teaching of Paul in the book of Romans, it kind of hints that the sin is passed down from the Father. Now, again, Mary's not sinless because she was given birth to by a father, but there's a hinting in the writings of Paul that the sin's passed down from the Father to the children. And so Mary... Because Mary didn't give birth to him except to be the, the conduit, if you will. He was God that was put in. He took on flesh and God gave him flesh. But she didn't pass sin on to Jesus. The Catholics teach, Roman Catholics, I, I want to clarify, the word Catholic means universal. And so if you're a part of the universal body of Christ, you're a Catholic. All right? But Roman Catholics are a different issue. The Roman Catholics teach that Actually, Mary was conceived without sin. Therefore, she couldn't pass sin on to Jesus. It's a bad teaching that doesn't come anywhere in the scripture. But actually, she didn't need to worry about passing it on to him because she didn't have a whole lot to do with it except just be in the womb. God, the Holy Spirit's going to, power of the Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to be with child. God put himself in her without any part on her. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like, I don't think he used Mary's egg, if you will. You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't say that at all. It doesn't. The Holy Spirit's just going to come upon you, and the whole power of God's going to be there. And so we didn't, Mary doesn't even have to be born sinless. But like I said, you know, um, praise God, when my wife and I were married, we were both virgins, and that's by the grace of God. But we don't call Becky the Virgin Becky anymore. She's had three kids. <laughs> and we see here in the Bible that there are, Mary gave birth to other children and, and all. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. Again, the scripture doesn't say any more except that simply that the God, the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon him. He doesn't have to use, he doesn't have to use Mary's egg. His sperm, but her egg had to give him his humanity. How do you know? Why? Oh yeah, he's got humanity, but, but we assume that it had to be her egg to give him humanity. We don't know. God can make a body out of the dust of the ground. He can make it whatever he wants to. See, we got to be careful that we don't, we got to be real careful that we don't try to make it make sense to us. The scripture says God put him, was put him, put him in her. I like it to make sense. <laughs> well, you're going to be very frustrated by the end of the Bible study then. So, because we're going somewhere with something. Go ahead. Yes, ma'am. Jesus, the fact that, that Jesus was obedient 
to God even to death. Mm -hmm. His obedience was not to, um, he was tempted, but to never sin. Right. So he obviously had. Oh, there's humanity. There's humanity. But at the same time, these are the kind of things that theologians will sit in seminary classes and argue over for hours, and there's no answer. Could, could, exactly. Adam was made, he didn't have a mother's egg. You know, people sit around and argue whether or not Adam and Eve had belly buttons. I'm serious. I actually know of a church, and I'm not lying to you. I know of a church in Kentucky that actually split over the fact that they had this beautiful mural painted in the church, and it had the picture of the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve had belly buttons, and they argued over whether or not Adam and Eve had belly buttons because there was no umbilical cord and there was no mother, and they split over whether or not Adam and Eve had belly buttons. We've got to be real careful that we don't try to... The scripture is very clear that he was a human, just 100% human in every way. But at the same time, you know, God, the Bible says that God did this work. But he was human. He was as human as you and me. But the question is, could he ever sin? The Bible says he was tempted. Some people say, well, and then he, he could have sinned, but he just didn't. But he's God. Could he have sinned? Probably. You don't understand the problem with all this stuff? When we start to try to figure things out that are beyond us and not clearly said in the scriptures, we get ourselves into a mess. Well, and they're spiritual. Yeah. It's just how did, how did the angels come down and, and mate with these? Exactly. In Genesis 6, how does that happen? Hey, you guys are heading right for, you guys are really heading to where we're going to go tonight. I'm glad you're getting frustrated and you don't have an answer because that's going to help you when we get to this Matthew, say in 14, 14, and 14. All right. Zach, I've seen you raise your hand a couple of times. Did you say earlier that the woman's seed crushed the serpent's head? Isn't that mean it's an egg from a woman? Well, again, it just said, seed just simply means descendant. That's all it means. So, yep. Again, all we know this is God put himself inside of Mary in her womb. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to be with child. Go ahead, Jeff. You're going to say something? You, um, the thought that you had that Mary didn't fully understand mm -hmm. is shown in Luke 2 when Jesus is at the temple. Yes. And he's there. Mom and dad leave him. They come back. What were you doing? And, and Jesus says, why are you looking for me? Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? And the very next verse says, and they did not understand what he was saying to them. Yep. Well, because if Mary was from the good Jewish family, they were looking for a warrior king, not... Well, there's so many things that show us, man, guys, don't miss it. She is to be called blessed because she was chosen by God to be used for a purpose. But she had to figure it out by the gift of the Holy Spirit, given her understanding as well. And there was a time when she thought Jesus had lost his mind. And she and his brothers went to go get him. And Jesus said, and now you understand why he responded the way he did. Look, this is why I'm here. Like you just pointed out, I had to be in my father's house. I'm supposed to be about my father's business. Now, don't misunderstand me. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says that if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. I'm not saying that we're to ignore our family and not take care of our family. And now let's say, I'm going to live for the Lord now, and I don't care about my wife and kids, and I don't care about my mom and dad. No, but Jesus also said that unless you hate your mother and father, you can't be my disciple. You're going to have to have spiritual understanding to know how to balance this whole issue of living first and foremost for the kingdom of God, yet at the same time, allowing that truth to be lived through you in such a way that you don't neglect your family. Again, this is all this stuff that's deep, deep. All I wanted you to hear is this. 
Mary needed a savior. Mary needed a savior. She's in that same messy lineage as everybody else. But it's neat how God's worked it out, though, and it's no accident that Jesus fulfills the prophecy on Mary's side and on Joseph's side, skipping Jeconiah's curse because he didn't come from Joseph at all. Therefore, he's not a descendant of Joseph. Therefore, he's legally able to sit on the throne. He's in that line, but he, he didn't have any relation with Joseph. Isn't that kind of cool? He's tied to Jeconiah, but he avoids this curse. He avoids the curse because he's coming through Mary as well. Now, let's go back in the time we have left here and deal with this conundrum. So why does Matthew say that there are 14 generations between Abraham and David, and 14 generations between David and Babylon, and 14 generations between Babylon and Jesus? There were roughly 911 years between Abraham and David. There were roughly 497 years between David and Babylon. And there were roughly 584 years between Babylon and Jesus. Obvious three different lengths of time period. And we've already seen that many names in the generations were left out. So what's the answer? Why does Matthew say three sets of 14 generations when it's obviously much more? You ready for the answer? We don't know. You can dig, you can research, you can, you can have all the fun you want. The honest answer is we don't know. Oh, there are people that have speculated and there are people who have guessed. There, there are people that say, well, it's, a, it's a, just a memory aid that Matthew has given them. What good's a memory aid if it doesn't give you an accurate something to memorize? But go ahead. Do we even really agree on what is the generation? Well, and some people have tried that. Again, that's one of the questions is, is how long is a generation? I could show you in scripture where some people say a generation is 40 years and other places it's 52 point something. And we, it could be 70, it could be 120, but even that doesn't work. But there's 911 years in one time period, there's 497 in another, and there's 584 in the third, and I don't care what kind of math you do to make generations work, it won't work. Listen to me. He definitely was showing the messianic line, and we have to be okay, and I'm going to show you scripturally why, you have to be okay with saying we don't know. Like you said, Marie, you want it to make sense. You want it to figure it out. Well, that's going to make you real frustrated because God has chosen not to reveal everything. And if you are willing to say you don't know, that puts you in great company. Go with me to Daniel chapter 12. Let's look at verses 1 through 13. Daniel's given this prophecy here. He says, at that time, talking about the end of the tribulation period, shall, Mike, shall arise Michael, the great prince who is charge of your people. There shall come a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. 
And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal of the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and the knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, and he raised his right hand and left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever that it would be for a time, a times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. By the way, who just wrote that? I heard, but I didn't understand? Daniel. And then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Daniel was given this unbelievable vision. Actually, you read the whole book. He's been given many visions about the last days. And he says, I don't understand. How's this going to play out? What's this going to be? And he's told, it's not for you to know. Then why'd you show it to me? Because you're going to be my instrument. And you're not going to fully grasp it, but you better be faithful to share what I told you to share. You see the danger of us having to have it all figured out before we are willing to tell anybody what we believe? I'm going to ask a show of hands here tonight. How many of you believe that there's only one God, but he's manifested himself in three persons eternally? The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, hands down. How many of you are willing, by a show of hands, to stand up in this room and explain how in the world that is possible? You think you got an answer? I don't know. Yeah, oh, his, his, I love your answer, Thomas. Thomas's answer is, I don't know. That's right. Yeah, we can try the egg. We can try steam. We can try all these things. Go ahead. It says in this word, with God, anything's possible. There we go. Very good. That's a great answer, Eric. That's a great answer. We don't know, but we know it to be true, and we don't have to explain it. Listen closely to me. We've got a problem in these last days that I want you to hear needs to be clarified in the hearts and the minds of believers. We think we have to understand it before we can explain it, and if we don't explain it, they won't get it. Listen to me. The Bible teaches very clearly that if they understand it, it's because God has opened their eyes. It's not because you explained it so well. It's not because you used human wisdom and craftiness of your speech. Paul said, when I came to you, I intentionally preached nothing but Christ and him crucified. I didn't come to you with man's wisdom. And by the way, Paul had an education. He could have used some big words. But he said, I didn't want God to be robbed of his power. Do you realize in our churches today, we're worried about whether or not we're able to communicate it properly. We want to make sure that it's relevant. We're trying to make the word of God relevant. Did you hear what they're saying? They're saying the word of God's irrelevant and we have to make it relevant. 
We have to understand it so we can explain it. Folks, if they get it, God opened their eyes. If they don't get it, Satan has blinded their eyes, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And you just got to be willing to say, I don't fully understand how it all plays together. But this much I know, God has made clear that there's only one way to heaven, through, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how he's able to use the humble. This gospel, this wonderful salvation, it's something so simple a child, a child can understand it. A grandmother with no education can believe. But what we've done in these days of increased knowledge is we've thought that we have to be creative. We have to use marketing. We have to use man's wisdom to get them to get it. Folks, let me just tell you, it's powerful. Just share it and leave it at that. You don't have to understand it, and you'll be in good company. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm sorry? All it is, yeah, be ready to give the reason for the hope that lies within you. You got it. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verses 10 and 12. 10, 11, and 12. 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> we just saw this in Daniel chapter 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours... Searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. These men and women, by the way, Jesus himself said, Blessed are you who've had your eyes opened. I tell you that prophets and righteous men and women in times past long to see what you've been able to see. The prophets searched the scriptures themselves. They dug, they wrestled with it. They didn't understand about the coming Messiah, the suffering servant, the fact that he was going to come to die for the sins of the world and then come and set up his kingdom. That's why John the Baptist had a problem with Jesus because John the Baptist had been sent by God to preach that the ax is laid at the root of the trees and that his winnowing fork is in his hand. John's message was a message of repentance. God's about to come and clean house. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he's nice. He's not cleaning house. He's actually healing people, and he's eating with sinners. And it gave John a bellyache because he knew that the Spirit of God was preaching through him. Yet this Jesus isn't looking like what the Spirit of God told him to say Jesus was going to look like. And in Matthew chapter 11, and we'll get there in our study, John the Baptist sends word to Jesus as John's sitting in prison and he says, by the way, this is the same John the Baptist that said, I saw the Holy Spirit come down on him. I wouldn't know who it was except the one who sent me to baptize said, the one you see the Holy Spirit come down on. I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. That's the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. He must increase. I must decrease. If there's anybody that knew who Jesus was, John the Baptist did. And he sends word to Jesus saying, um, are you the one? Or should we look for another? Folks, you want to be able to make it in these days? You need to understand that you don't have to understand it. Why was I healed and others aren't? Why was, why was Peter released from that prison? Miraculously, where the doors flew open and the chains fell off, and he didn't even think it. He, and he, but James, just a few days earlier, had been put to death in that same prison. One Bible teacher one time said, can you imagine being John, the brother of James, 
And every time you guys hung out with Peter after he had been released from the same prison was a reminder that God had Peter released from the same prison that your brother had been put to death in. Every time he saw Peter, it was a reminder that God did for you what he didn't do for my brother. Folks, we want to have it all make sense to us. And when you go down that road, you're setting yourself up for misery. And I dug into this Matthew thing about the 14 generations, and I spent hours because I wanted to give you an answer. And God said, why do you have to give him an answer? Because I want to know. It'll make me look good. <laughs> he says, if you don't know, you're in good company. You know, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2 says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. The glory of kings is to search out a matter. It's not that we aren't to keep searching, we aren't to keep digging. But are you okay if God says, I'm not going to give you an answer? Are you okay if God says, I know you prayed for a healing, but my answer is no, or at least not yet? Are you okay with that? Or does God have to do it the way you think and have everything make sense? Folks, let me help you out. Be okay with, I don't know. But this much I do know. You see, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things revealed belong to us and to our children. Yes? Exactly. There's a lot of things that won't be revealed to the end. Yeah, not at our timing. You're right. Yeah, and that's what Jesus actually sent back to, to, to John the Baptist in Matthew 11. He said, Matthew 11, verse 6, blessed is he who is not offended by me. Oh, he said, oh, but you go back and tell John pretty much everything's right on schedule. And he quotes from another prophecy in Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 1, how the good news will be preached to the poor. I'm doing everything the scripture said I would do in this visit. You got your prophecy out of order, and that's what gave you the bellyache. Blessed are those who don't fall away on you. Blessed are those who don't fall away on account of why you do my business. You got it. Yes, ma'am. Uh, you think that um, maybe the generations were, like, we usually it's 20 years, like for us, because of how when people have babies. But in those days, like, sometimes they had a 99 years and they were having a baby, so the generations would all be different, like Abraham. You know, is there a possibility of that, Rachel? That We know that generations lived longer during that time, yet at the same time, that still doesn't solve the problem of the fact that there were 400 years not even mentioned in that first section. But you're still trying to figure it out. Good for you. <laughs> you, you weren't listening at all, so... Uh, <laughs> Hey, hey, no, it's the glory, it's the glory of kings to keep searching out a matter. Listen to me. I'm not saying don't keep digging into the scriptures. I think what Rachel's doing is wonderful. You brought up a point that I hadn't even thought of. That's a possibility. I don't think, we'll, I don't think it'll solve it. it. Definitely they lived a lot longer prior to the flood. They lived a lot longer at a certain point, but at the same time, the... the Matthew chapter 1 shows us that there's a whole bunch that have been left off, and we've already counted 14 generations, and we know that they skipped 400 years. So it, it might, but that doesn't solve it either. Let, let me give you my last thing, and then I'm going to let you go. No, this much we do know. Matthew listed 14 generations from Abraham to David, right? 
He listed 14 generations. There were some he skipped, but he listed 14. He did list 14 from David to Babylon, and he did list 14 from Babylon to Jesus. That much we do know. Take heart. Have hope. No matter what goes on in the history of the world or the obedience slash disobedience of man, God's plan and his promise cannot be stopped. We have just seen through Matthew's genealogy how messed up everything people were. They were all messed up. Manasseh, Rahab, Tamar, Judah. Shall we go on? Yet, even though there was a curse, God worked it all out that it all fell right into place and it still will. Yes, sir. And not just the sin of man, but also the enemy was trying his best to wipe them all out since Genesis 3. So if you actually do a full study of that, you'll see that same thing that Jeff brought out, that all Satan knew at that time was a seed of this woman is going to crush my head. And he doesn't know who it is. And all of a sudden Cain looks righteous and Abel, uh, sorry, Abel looks righteous and Cain doesn't. And so he has Cain kill Abel. And you watch him. Satan's trying to keep this from happening. That's, I think, with the whole Genesis chapter 6, where he's trying to corrupt the seed. So there won't be a seed of the woman righteous enough to defeat him. And, oh, by a certain point, he now realizes that it's Jesus. Oh, and he has Herod go to kill all the babies, two years old and down. He's trying to stop it. The man himself isn't righteous enough to be a part of it, and yet God's plan's going to be fulfilled right on down to it. Blessed are those of us who say, I don't have it figured out, but God is in control, and even if he slays me, yet will I trust him, and I'm going to see him one day face to face because of Jesus and not because of me. I love you guys. I'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for coming. <laughs>